1: Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is episode 20... It's not... Is it 2606? It is 2606. 2606. It is February the 25th, 2020. And it's a Tuesday. That means it's a standalone topic where I'm going to pick it apart and teach you. And all, No, no we're, we're doing something different because uh, there's somebody here. Hey guys, Nick Ferguson. So Nick Ferguson happens to be in Texas on a consulting tour, and whenever that happens, we uh, drag him by the house to come hang out with us, and last night we were drinking some really good rum and some really great martinis, and we had a discussion about a variety of subjects, and it's, it sounded good at the time, right? It, 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 it <laughs> right. sounded like we knew what we were talking about, right? Yeah. So... We're going to try that today. We're going to try to have some of the same discussions and see if that works out. And Maybe it'll sound good. Maybe we were just drunk. I don't know. but <laughs> We really didn't drink that much. It was really good rum, so we were drinking in small sips. But uh, we've got basically a, a topic round table like I did about a month ago with Nicole Sauce. You guys really like that. We're going to be talking about Nick's new nursery business. They're going to talk about a concept I've been milling around called micro-CSAs, even though that's not the right word, and why we might use the term even though it's not the right term because it's what people... Think. Uh, and a little marketing lesson there. We're talking about some homesteading stuff as an investment, planting trees that gain value over time. We're going to talk about why this might be one of the most important times in history to get a little entrepreneurial. We're going to talk about what to look for in a property and how it rates relates to your long-term goals rather than some idea of a property that's right for everybody, because that doesn't exist. We're talking about frugality and debt elimination, not letting perfect being the enemy of the good with some technologies like hydroponics we've been talking about a lot lately. The role of animals for homesteaders and keeping them profitable, even if you're not selling them. What the hell does that mean? Some of you already are there. Some of you, well, you'll know when we talk about it. It'll make sense. And we're going to talk about what the next five to ten years look like, maybe and definitely at the same time. I think there's some things we can be sure of and some maybes, but I think the path forward is the same. So we're going to be covering all that today with Nick. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one, is the Ridge Wallet. Uh, Guys, I'm telling you, two... Two and a half years ago now, the Ridge Wallet came to me and said, hey, we want to sponsor the show. And I'm like, I don't know that the Ridge Wallet is really a prepper-oriented thing. And they're like, it's a great product, and you have a shitload of people, so we want to do this. So I said, well, send me one. They sent me one. I cleared out my billfold. I minimized, and I have never gone back to a billfold. I love the Ridge Wallet. And it amazes me how often I pay with it. People are like, oh, you have the Ridge Wallet. I didn't know that they were that well known. Give them a shot; you'll see why. And they protect you from identity theft. And if you're an MSB member, you get a discount on all the cool stuff that they sell. Next up today, J.M. Bullion. Hey, we're going to be talking about uncertainty in the future today. Now, I don't say go like get rid of all your dirty money and turn it into silver and gold. I think that's really stupid. But I've been recommending five to ten percent of your net wealth, averaged in over time, uh, into precious metals since I started the show. Almost 12 years ago, and that recommendation has never wavered or changed because it is the anonymous form of wealth, the wealth that you can pass down to your heirs or you can use in transactions where no one needs to know between you, me and the fence post only. But why jam bullion? The whole point of silver eagles, for instance, they're all the same. Well, they cost less there. They ship for free, they sponsor the show, and they do an MSB discount. My question would be, why the hell would you buy your silver or gold from anybody else? I don't have a good answer for that, but I have a good answer where to get it, jmbullion.com. That brings us up to our quote of the day. I want to bring Nick here in on this, too. So I've actually talked about this in the past in this particular quote, and this particular guy who was kind of a genius. But Buck Munster Fuller talked about wealth. And he said that wealth is a measure of a person's ability to survive so many days forward. I think that's a great definition of wealth. The really interesting thing to me, anyway, about this quote is: I, Do you know where this came from? No, like when I don't. He said, okay, he had a patent on a particular type of geodesic dome, okay. and he buried this in the text on the patent application. Why? Nobody knows. But maybe it would just be so that when somebody told the story later, they would do that. Right. He's a pretty good marketer, too, yeah. right? What do you think of this concept that wealth is really measured in how many days forward you can survive?
2: Man, I mean, just... I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> I mean, if, if you have nothing and you cannot take care of yourself, your family, for a week, then... I'd say... You have no wealth. Yeah, you have no wealth. You have literally no wealth. But you could have no cash... Yes. ...and be part of an amazing community and be raising all of your own food and providing for all of your needs and your family's needs. And I would say you're pretty dang wealthy because you have everything you need, everything you want, and you can do that for months and months or years... Without having... Potentially infinitely. Right.
1: If it's designed right. Right. Which was his whole point, because he was a designer, an engineer. Right. So you design a life. You don't just live a life, you design it. The other thing that makes me see this as kind of a sad quote is you've heard the term two paychecks from poverty. Right. Right. Which means the average American has two to four weeks of wealth. Mm -hmm. That's what they really have. Mm -hmm. They live in really nice houses. They drive really nice cars, but take away their income for a month and they're on the streets, right? Or they're living off somebody else, like because they have to, they're doubled up with in-laws or something like that. And mm-hmm. that is sad because we really are the wealthiest country in the world. So maybe people should put a little more time into the design right. of the lifestyle and focus a little less on the actual dollar value. Because right. the dollar is important. I don't hate money. And I suggest no one else should hate money either. Whoever said, what was the movie, uh, Boiler Room? The person that said money was the root of all evil doesn't have any money. (laughs) They don't have any money. So I'm not anti-money. But I am saying, hey, maybe we need to look at things a little bit differently. And I thought that would be good as we we kind of intro in today's discussion Uh, We do want to talk a little bit about your nursery business and your progress on your launch sale, Nick. So tell everybody where
2: you're at with that right now, because a lot of people bought plants off you, and now they might be thinking, like, where's my plants? Okay, so (laughs) um, for everyone that keeps emailing and asking, I have a frequently asked questions, and it pretty much answers every single question I've gotten in email on the front page of the website. So just scroll down.
0: Which is? Um,
2: It's rareplantstore.com. So... Right down there, I've got frequently asked questions. We should be starting to ship out um, in this upcoming month. So shipping will go from um, March into April. So we should be done with all shipping in April. So it's coming. Just be patient. I want to make sure they don't show up too early and you get trees, you put them in the ground, and they start pushing bud and then you get a late freeze, and then they're really sad because they need that initial push. And they haven't established yet, so right. you could kill a tree that would otherwise
1: survive Correct. in that freeze because it I, has no root mass built
2: enough. Right. I would rather you get them planted just a little bit too late than a little bit too early because mm-hmm. they can handle a little bit too late with a little bit of babying. You, they can't handle a little bit too early if you don't protect them from getting frozen. So, yeah. Um, so, that's uh that's how that's going uh the we almost completely sold out I shut all sales down because uh, I wanted to just ensure that I was able to send the best trees to
1: everyone. Yeah, but because you're waiting for your your side of the shipment to come in, right. if you have some crappy ones or whatever, those are the ones that don't get shipped. You'll you'll Correct. keep them and grow them out. Or right. Whatever.
2: So I'm gonna be planting pretty much everything that in every single one of the packages I'm planting some on on our property. So I want to make sure I have some to plant. Um, but after, after that's all said and done and, and I have all the other orders fulfilled and I set aside a little bit for me, then I'm going to kind of re up and say, okay, here's what we have in stock. They will probably just be a grab bag style um, pa- plant packages because
1: yeah. you get what you get for
0: yep. clearance
2: and and yeah. What I'll do is I'll try and make sure it's as diverse of a, a package as possible, so you'll get a little bit of everything, um, and and I might have a couple that are kind of the, more of the you know the black locust and honey locust, the thornless honey locust for a little bit more of the the expert grab bag kind of thing. Yeah. So we'll see like two packages. Yeah, yeah. Depends yeah. on what there
1: is. So what are are some of the things that you think you might – do you think you'll be shipping any other things this year, or is it kind of a next year thing? Like, I know you're going to do some work with Mint. That doesn't take long to propagate. Do you expect to have anything like this summer or anything for people?
2: I'm I'm hoping to have um, a whole bunch of stuff in June, July, August that I might be able to ship. I'm going to have to look into – uh survivability and do a little bit of testing before I do that because the last thing I want to do is ship out stuff that gets too stressed in transit to do well for you. So, I want to make sure that I'm I'm providing the best product I possibly can and making sure that when you get it, it's going to be healthy and happy and do well. So, we might be able to be shipping out some some more fruit producing cultivars like uh like figs and muscadine Later this summer, um, probably some blackberry and maybe blueberry. It just depends on how quickly they root and how well they do and what they look like. So, yeah, that, that's what I'm hoping. I'm not promising it right now, but at least um, by next, by this upcoming fall, going into winter, we should be able to ship a bunch of that stuff.
1: And with you know your perennials, your trees, your bushes, your shrubs, your vines, it's, it's actually probably the best time of year to plant. Right. Because the tree is going dormant, it sits there and it wakes up, and mm-hmm. it wakes up at the right time for your climate, and it does its thing. Yes. And that when when they drop their leaves, they take all the sugars out of their leaves and they dump them into their roots. Right. And shipping bare root, like that's the only really affordable way to ship trees mm-hmm. and bushes is bare root. You try to do it with pots. It's. I looked on Bob Wells' site yesterday over some. um Cold hardy uh, avocado species, and you know, they were like sixty bucks, and that's kind of expensive. But it's an avocado tree; it, it's yeah. going to be expensive. But shipping for two of them was seventy dollars, right? Because they're an evergreen avocado, so he doesn't ship them bare roots. So now mm-hmm. you've got this big, heavy clotted dirt on there, and so yeah, bare roots in the fall, dormant like that is beautiful. And I like—I'd like to see you kind of work on like the mint thing and stuff because that can ship yeah, yeah. in the summer.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's mints. Yep, I plan on doing that. And, you Plus, know, I want
1: some of this shit, you know? Right. <laughs> like, I mean, you start talking about mints that tastes like friggin' basil and shit, and I'm like, I, okay, I want that. Right. I mean, I've got some lemon mint, and I've got some chocolate mint It doesn't taste like chocolate, by the way. The lemon mint kind of does taste like lemon. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm kind of excited about that for my own personal uh, gain. Um, so, the, the big thing is, like, this is Nick's building year with his nursery and plant store. It's been something a long time coming, and... Uh, You trust me, whenever there's anything new about it, you'll hear about it through us. And you want to check out his site and subscribe to his newsletter and all that stuff, too. So uh, get on by the site, which, again, is, Nick, rareplantstore.com. All right. So let's move on to something we were talking about uh, after about the second glass of rum last night. Uh, My concept of what we were calling a micro-CSA. Now, I don't actually think it's a CSA. But I think that's what, in everybody, every every soccer mom's head, it's a CSA. So you don't. You don't tell your market they're wrong. You embrace their terminology, even if they are wrong, and you mm-hmm. sell them whatever you actually want to sell them. So what I mean by that is the CSA is really a risk share program for farmers, where I need to plant my stuff. And in the you know the way that the, the way the banking system developed in this country was on the back of the farmer. Right. So the farmer would need seed to plant 50 acres, 40 acres, something like that. that's a lot of flipping seed. They didn't have any money. So, they would go to the bank and borrow the money and plant the seed. And then, if it grew, they would repay the loan and make a profit and then be broke next planting season and go do it again. And that's right up through the panic of 1873 and all that. That's all all that how it worked out. Well, the CSA kind of says, well, instead of borrowing from the banker who will take your farm, borrow small pieces from all your community supported agriculture club members. And then they get a portion of the harvest. And if the harvest is really great, they do really well. And if the harvest is really crappy, they don't do so well. But it's risk sharing. I'm not talking about that because unless you're a fairly sizable operation, I don't really like the model. I'm talking more about like a food club, a food share, something like that. You're know, you growing enough food to provide a box to like 20 families a week. And maybe you need... 40 regular customers to average 20 a week. And mm-hmm. we were saying last night, maybe a $50 box is a $25 profit. We don't even know. We haven't run the numbers. Um, but I don't know that that's a CSA. But it, 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 I think that, that, that soccer mom, mm-hmm. who is your perfect customer for this, right. who drives a $60,000 SUV to mm-hmm. cart the kids to soccer when the, they have one kid and it's a baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? that wants the best food that she can get, like... I think in her head it's a CSA. That's the term that they're familiar with. Right. Now, what I like about micro CSA is I always said this is about business. Like people are like, "I want to make $10,000 a month. I want you to too." Why don't we try to make a dollar? Right? You have to make a dollar before you can make 2 and you have to make 2 before you can make 4 and so on. So, if you want a small side hustle business and you don't want to be a full-time farmer, I'm thinking about 20 to 50 customers. Mhm. Delivering about twenty to thirty shares a week is about all you want to bite off. Yeah. Right. But if you want to be a lot of work, that's a lot of work, right? That's when your grandkids are going to be doing some work, right? (laughs) So, um, but it also lets you get a taste for the business. uh, It lets you develop a market, and then it lets you determine: Do I want to be bigger? Mm -hmm. I mean, because the other side of it, we were talking last night about like you know if you do it this way, even at this size, you probably could make about five hundred dollars a week. Right well that 's two thousand dollars a month that 's a twenty four thousand dollars a year income in mm-hmm. profit now that 's actual profit, not profit that the government finds out about like the, the the number for the government is a is a much lower number because there 's lots of things we can write off that aren 't necessarily expenses against the business but that ninety percent of the tax code says they're expenses against but well, who am I to argue with them? They wrote right. the tax code.
2: That's the rules. We're so most farms
1: most farms lose money. So there's actually no red alerts that go off if your schedule F says you lost money. Mm-hmm. Right. So to me, for a lot of people that have, you know, a two two income family, that twenty four thousand may not sound like a lot, but it's probably equivalent to like 35000 in income, and if it's a benefit situation but the other partner that has a higher income is the one with the health insurance and all, it's almost inevitable that that, that couple would now be ahead financially mm-hmm. by mo- whoever the lower income earner is, mom or dad, quits job, does that full time, even if they
2: don't grow it any larger. Right. But it, you can.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, thinking about this, and there, there are quite a few people out there that, you know, one partner is a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. Already. Already. And and they're handling things, you know, for instance, with me and Katie. She's a stay-at-home mom, and she's homeschooling. Well, she could devote an hour every day to taking care of growing some of this produce and helping with marketing and sales and record-keeping and everything like that. And all of a sudden, we've enabled her... To essentially become another income earner without having to give up her her choice in being a stay-at-home mom. See, and a lot of times the partner
1: that's going to keep a job is the one that's actually more suited to the work part of this. Mm -hmm. But it's not the work part of this that's hard. The work part of this just takes time. And when I say the work part, I mean like planting seeds yeah. and making decisions on yeah, what yeah. to plant and you know, deciding when to vent the greenhouse and mm-hmm. when not to vent the greenhouse and when to change fluid in a hydro system or right. whatever it is. It's all the little nitpicky shit and harvest and package. You don't have to know anything about growing plants. right? If you're doing a cut-and-come-again crop like celery, for instance, and everybody this week is going to get four big stalks of celery – all you need to know is take two off of every plant, make bundles of four, put in box. Right. Right. So the person that maybe doesn't share your enthusiasm, if they are if they share your enthusiasm for income.
2: Right. If they share it's just enthusiasm a job. For like how many money? people have
1: a job for that kind of income that really love their job? Yeah. Most people that really love their job. Are doing something exciting and it, there's a high level of qualification for it, and also hence they just make more money. Mm-hmm. Most jobs that pay twenty to $30,000 a year are not jobs that people get up in the morning and go, Woohoo, I get to go to work now, <laughs> right? Like, not that there's not a lot of really high paid jobs where people right. also are miserable, but no one really gets excited about a $20,000 a year job unless it's their first job and they're just happy to have a job. Mm-hmm. So I think that, like, you don't have to be in love with this, right, for it to work. But I also find sometimes people that don't think they're going to like something that's horticultural agricultural they've never done it they mm-hmm. don't know they don't get what it's really about and when they start realizing they're actually feeding people that they're producing food that they're right. actually making something right like they've all they've ever done they might have worked hard they might have earned a lot of money but they've never made a dime
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, there's a, a theory in agorism that only entrepreneurs make money everybody else may earn money
0: mm-hmm.
1: but only entrepreneurs Make, make money, and a, there's something about that when a person actually realized I made this dollar, mm-hmm. that dollar's prettier than the $10 bill they got from somebody that they were working oh, for, yeah. especially when they figure out I can make more of these. The feeling is intoxicating, it is, and I think it's why some people get so big as entrepreneurs because it's not there's a point where people are like, Oh, they're just greedy, they want money. I'm talking about billionaires here, and, shit, and like, No, not really. Like, once you have a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. There literally is no difference in your life by having ten billion dollars you can 't determine a difference at that point right so it also, it almost becomes like a video game like you 're trying to keep score mm-hmm. you know and they want to know how much can I actually do? what can right. I actually do and i don 't ever want to be that big i don 't really have any interest in it uh, the The amount of like consumption of your life that requires is beyond what I want, and I hate people yeah right I mean, and i don 't hate people in general, I hate people when they become employees. It's literally like in, like hiring people is like sticking your arm into a box full of ticks and, and just saying, I, I need 10. <laughs> and then you let 20 get on your arm and you pick 10 off and you settle for those 10. That's what hiring people is like. I, I, I really wish I was not so pessimistic on this, but it is. It's, it's allowing ticks to nurse on your forearm. I can I can see that. And some of them have diseases. <laughs> and you just don't know how bad the disease is going to be and how miserable your life will be because you let that one tick in the door. Right. Now, in a state like Texas, at least we can just fire them. Like, bye. Like, some states, like, you. It, it, they are a tick. And they're like an embedded tick. And even when you pull them off, the head's still in there. You know, I mean... <laughs> There's residual effects. Like Ohio. Like, getting rid of an employee in Ohio once you're over, like, a 20-person company is... Basically, they're gone, they don't work there anymore, but you get dinged so hard on the workmarch comp side, you might as well keep them. Wow. That's how bad it can be. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have to hire somebody to replace them and also pay them. And if they turn out to be an infected tick, you can have four or five tick heads left in your arm Ugh. while you're,
2: you know, surfing S- for new ticks. Yeah, while you're struggling to make ends meet and keep that business going. So on the, on the micro CSA, so we can stop talking about tick people,
1: <laughs> um, what what do you think some of like your best crops are for this? I think it's high turn, high dollar leaf crops and cut and, cut and come again crops, and then the occasional like cherry on top, right? Like right. some bonus that's not coming
2: all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So what are some ideas? You on know, I, I think I think sticking to you know a a base number of regular foods, the kinds of things that you're gonna see. You know the normal grocery shopper because normally there's one person in in the family who goes grocery shopping. So go to the grocery store and look at what the people are picking out in the produce area. You yeah, know? I think that's a great idea, and I think the thing to do with that is remember
1: your your demographic here. Right, your demographic is is caring, is caring. Right. right? She, it's the, and not only does Karen care, she wants people to know she cares. Right. When she brings friends over, she wants to tell them how socially conscious and 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 how exactly. great the food is. So don't go to Albertsons to do this. Go to Whole Foods. Go to Central Market and right. look for the Karens. Yep. They they have a glow about them. You can see the <laughs> Karen glow and and watch Karen. Mm-hmm. And where does she go? And what does she buy? I think that's a, that's a great right.
0: idea.
2: And you know, I I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunity to have a little bit of something that is truly spectacular and interesting and unusual, something rare. You know, people go nuts over I'm, – I'm one of them <laughs> who goes nuts over rare plants and fruits. I think it's just fantastic when I can come up with something – when I can find something that's unheard of. Like, until a couple years ago, I never knew that – white blackberries existed. It's it's antithetical to the name. It's a blackberry. But this one is white I, I believe they're called privileged blackberries. <laughs> so I mean if if you're growing some some interesting fruits for your family and then you just ramp up that production a little bit, now you can add a little handful of something completely unheard of into that box. And you just you just shot the perceived value of that through the roof because where can they get white blackberries? Where can they get a, a fig that the skin is the color of a rich, beautiful Bordeaux wine? You know, you, you can't buy that in the store. You cannot. And a lot of those are the types of fruits that you can't buy them in the store because they don't ship. And because yeah. they don't keep for very long, yeah. But those are the kinds of things that you can actually get in kind of a a weekly box where, okay, the blackberries get picked on Friday and the box gets delivered on Saturday morning, so they can stay refrigerated for overnight and still be okay, yeah, and still be good to consume. And, and you know, adding something rare and unique to that. And only having it a few
1: times a year actually makes it more valuable. And your customers that buy every other week, you might want to try to stagger it so Mm -hmm. it's two weeks in a row Mm -hmm. so that they didn't miss out on the opportunity. Now, one of the strategies I've seen with people doing kind of a little bit bigger CSA than we're talking about, not huge. They have like 100 members, Mm -hmm. right? Um, They have one day a week you can pick up and a two-hour window. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want that, No CSA for you, right? Right. (laughs) It's a CSA Nazi, but it really isn't. But the the strategy is not get it all done in two hours on a Saturday. The strategy is get the customers there talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Then you don't have to talk to them as much, right? right? But they all feel well cared for because they all start talking. Then they become friends, right? Mm -hmm. The Karens and the Kyles all show up in their SUVs and they become friends. And it becomes a thing that they do. Yes. On Saturday we go to the farm and we get all of our stuff and we talk to all the other Karens and Kyles. Right. Well, then start what starts to happen is instead of dealing with, you know, I really don't care for this particular plant. Can can I substitute this week? Because there's also no substitutions, right? Like right. We don't have time for that. We make a box every week, so all the Karens and Kyles come and they look in their box.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Karen one says to Karen two, I I, I really don't like basil. Mm-hmm. And Karen two says, I love basil. I want to make a bunch of pesto. Right. So she gives her the basil. Mm -hmm. Right. And then maybe she says, you know what? They give us microgreens every week. I really, my kids don't eat the radish. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like radish. And they trade. And you don't have to do anything. Right. The other thing is then, like, Karen one says to Karen two, I I don't really dislike basil. I just don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And then Karen one teaches Karen two how to make pesto, like you just said. Right. Oh, okay, now it's on, right? Mm-hmm. Now Karen 2 wants basil. Now Karen 2's like, are we getting basil this week? Right. Now the other thing this company did, and I thought was really cool, they had an online portal for their customers, real simple. You had to look at it and go, okay, it's WordPress-driven with some plugins. But every week, you could order your box up to 48 hours before pickup time. Mm-hmm. Online, So you ordered it, you paid for it, all you had to do was go in and get your box. Right. But that meant that the farm knew 48 hours ahead of delivery exactly how many boxes to make that week.
2: Mm-hmm. And if
1: they had a surplus of something but lower number of customers to put more in each box. Right. And if you wanted something after that 48-hour window, see you next week. Right. And it was like we could do this, but then we're training our customers. You can see why I like these people, right? Yeah. They think of the Jack Spear going Yeah, yeah. If we're training them to expect this. And if we just tell them no, we're training them to not expect this Mm -hmm. and then they'll adapt to us. But it removed all the concerns. Like, I don't want a box every week because what about when we go on vacation or whatever? Well, you Mm -hmm. just don't get your box that week. Yeah. And they had an email list and they would send out an email, you know, one day, so three days out. So they had a full day to think about it. Do I want a box this week? And it would give like this week we're expecting our boxes to have blah 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 blah. It didn't give a complete right 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 right. right? But th- you know this like if we were you and I've been talking about a lot about like turmeric and ginger lately, right? Mm-hmm. Like this week we're doing the baby ginger, right? You know, and then all the Karen's want the ginger, so everybody shows up that mm-hmm. week. You have a big week. Yeah, that means everybody's block goes down a little bit. Right, though, right. Or you put a cap. Mm-hmm. We only have forty boxes this week. Twenty boxes, whatever it is, and it seemed like. What I don't like about that is now the money's on the surface, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Ira Ramon Sancia, biggest gangster in the world, Mm -hmm. initials are IRS, knows about the money. Mm -hmm. However, I think that it's mitigated by how much tax advantage you get in an ag business in the first place. Right. You're literally going to write off half of your life now. Yeah. So you might pay a little tax on it, but you're not going to pay tax on all the money. Mm -hmm. You're not even going to pay tax on all the profit. Again, I didn't write the tax code. I just, you know, raped the rules with it. That's... That's what I've learned from rich people is to yeah. focus on that 90%. So I think that's a cool idea. And then before we leave this topic, we've got to talk about ginger because both of us are like all jagged up on mm-hmm. growing ginger this year. Um, I found out this year, and I did not know this, that all of the ginger plant is edible. I had no idea you could eat ginger leaves and ginger stalks and basically use the stalks like lemongrass and the leaves to make tea or you could cook them into soups. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know... That if you harvest the ginger early before it forms the rind, maybe it's not good for making more ginger, but that it tastes better, you don't have to peel it, and you have zero waste. And then I found out that I can probably overwinter ginger in my climate. Yep. So now I'm kind of the ginger guy, right? Like, I wanna do this ginger thing, and I wanna actually taste the plant beyond the root. Right. And see that kind of with the CSA. I think that opens up a huge amount. And then what I also learned. And I was like completely blown away by this. When you when you cut those leaves off and leave the stalks on that baby ginger, that young ginger. I should call it young. It's not baby. It's mm-hmm. young. You just can throw that in a bag and throw it in the freezer, and it has no degradation in flavor or texture. So then you take it out of your freezer, you grate it, and you throw it back in your freezer. And that's all the restaurant chefs that are buying from these market gardeners are doing with
0: it. Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, well, then when I give it to Karen, and she's like, but I'm not going to use it all this week. Karen, put it in your freezer. Right, and hopefully Karen two will tell Karen one about how to do that, so I don't have to do any customer support.
2: Right, well, you know, something you can do with, uh, you know, hey, we've got a new thing coming in in the boxes this week. We, we've got ginger, we've got baby ginger, and and you just write, you spend ten fifteen minutes writing up a little blog post on what you can do with this, and here's a couple recipes. Like my wife, she has this lemon ginger drink that she makes. It's Got a little bit of uh, um, apple cider vinegar in it for brightness and then some lemon and ginger and she blends it up and she loves it. I don't know what it's called, but she loves it. And, you know, talking about that, she spends time peeling the ginger and there's a bunch wasted with that. But if you got that, you know... That younger ginger Bright, rhizome. right
1: white, beautiful root. Right. I, I have to eat that. I want to eat it.
2: all she has to do is just grade a little bit, and then boom, there's her drink ready. You know, yep. having a little recipe like that in with that, you know, some of those people might say, I don't want ginger. I don't know to do this. But you have a cool recipe. Yeah. Or you spend, you know, five minutes filming, you know, with, with your iPhone. This is ha- how we do a stir fry, and we put ginger in it or whatever. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, oh, I'm excited about that. I want to try that. And now instead of you know there being a little bit of a negative association with the ginger that they would have not known what to do with and not been interested in. Now, all of a sudden, they're excited about it, and there's pressure for them to go get that box. I need that I don't that want box. to miss this week. I, I don't yeah. want to miss ginger week. I don't, I don't want to
1: miss because it. Because I want other Karen to come over to my house on Saturday, and I want to make ginger something for her. Right. And then I want her to be jealous that I have the ginger, and she doesn't. Right. I know that sounds facetious, but this is how people think. Yeah. If you don't accept this is how people think, you will be the worst kind of farmer in the world. You'll be able to grow the shit out of food and not sell it. Right. You have to know how to market. And when you're marketing high-dollar food, you have to market to high-dollar high clientele. You, yeah. you really do. And they want bragging rights. They want bragging rights. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think it's great. You know, I mean, I brag about my fish tanks to you because I'm like, yeah. look at all my st- shit I'm doing now. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, I mean, so, like, like we do that. We're social creatures. We just mm-hmm. all have different things that we want, you know, to talk about like that. So I'm excited about that, um, and I, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I'm certainly going to investigate the potential to do it. Uh, especially if I can force enough child labor into the system to uh, <laughs> to get some things done around here. and Because we're also looking for, like, we're going to have a surplus of eggs again, but we're never going to have 150 ducks again. I don't want that business model. But, you know, if I can give my customers six eggs each twice a month for a lot of people, especially understanding the specialty of a duck right. egg and what you do with a duck egg, we, we eat them, like, for everything. Right. Because we can't. -hmm. Right, but when you're paying the kind of money you pay for duck eggs, because like we're selling for eight dollars a dozen, and people like sometimes that's pretty high. Go your ass to Whole Foods. Right, twelve bucks a dozen, or a dollar an egg, and they suck. They're old and they suck. So I mean, it is a luxury item. And then understanding how to do that, like what Dorothy did with them one time when we did like when we were selling to a restaurant, we made mini cupcakes Mm -hmm. with duck egg, and it was just like Duncan Hines. Mm -hmm. Right. People couldn't believe the difference. Yeah. Like the the creaminess, the richness. So, like, you could throw that in there. So, it gives me some way to get rid of our surplus for money and create a tax deduction. Which let's move on then because we want to start talking about kind of the future that's uncertain and some things we should be doing. Our next bullet point is seeing homesteading as an investment. Like planting trees and they gain value for different re- reasons over time. Like, you can kind of talk about that from a fodder aspect, because mm-hmm. that's a big thing with you. But if you just had a suburban Karen house, mm-hmm. right? Beaten up by the Karens today, man. But <laughs> you just had a suburban four bedroom Karen house on a half acre lot, and somebody like did your tree sale and just bought some hybrid poplars and stuff like that mm-hmm. and have beautiful leaves in the, in, the, in the winter and whatever, and just planted those trees, mm-hmm. and five years later decided they want a bigger Karen house. Right. Those trees are probably the number one investment they've made on a strictly ROI on the perceived value of the home. Yes, the bathroom that you did up really super nice that you put five mm-hmm. grand into might add seven thousand dollars to your mm-hmm. house. In two thousand it might be bigger than what a tree did. Mm-hmm. But if you take the cost of the tree as a percentage of the value increase, like yep. on a straight financial, you never get anything else out of it. Almost nothing beats that. You know, right. it's better than a deck. Like your number one thing you can do to a home add value <clears throat> is a deck, right? That's your, your fastest guaranteed. You never lose money on a deck. A tree,
2: as long as you don't kill it, right, is
1: ten times better than a deck in actual
2: ROI. Yeah. Well, think about you know you're you're hunting for a, a home and you're driving through this suburban neighborhood and every single cookie cutter house has a cookie cutter tree. And then you come to the one house in the neighborhood that has a a tree that's twice the size. And there's twice as many trees. And there's shade. And it's beautiful. and And it's different. And you're looking at this house like it's one of the houses on the older part of the suburban area with the big shade trees. And all of a sudden, that house is way more valuable because it just has more shade.
1: Well, it has a newer, it's a newer house. It's got newer yep. appliances. It's got a newer roof. It's got everything that you want in a new house. Exactly. But it has the look and feel of the older neighborhood where the first thing you're going to do is have to put a roof on the house. Right. Even when the home inspector says, there's nothing wrong with the roof. Like, yeah, the first first rainy season, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with the roof. You know, when the house is 30, 40 years old, it's going to – even if there was nothing wrong with it when you bought it, right. it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's like becoming an old man. There's a point where I'm perfectly healthy. How old are you? 47. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> you know, it's your, your, it's all downhill from here. Like you know, good maintenance. That's a good idea, but you're going to have issues that you're going to have to deal with. So I think there's that direct ROI. And then when it's the standpoint of like if it's edible or a resource in some way, then it has a secondary ROI. Like you, you talk a little bit about you know fodder trees here, for instance, right. if you're growing rabbits or something.
2: <clears throat> right. So one of the things I. I like to encourage people to just kind of think outside the box just a little bit on this is you know most people have have a dog or a cat or a couple dogs and they're in kind of more of a it's a laid back chill suburban neighborhood and they've got a nice sized backyard it's not huge you know even a quarter acre and they want a little bit of privacy and a little bit of shade so they plant some of these fodder trees for instance I'm just going to throw out a a scenario for you. So you plant these fodder trees, and you've got some dogs. and, uh, And you want a little garden, and you're trying to build some fertility on your property. So you get a handful of rabbits, and you're growing rabbits, and you get a little rabbit tractor. And you start raising some rabbits, which are gourmet meat. They taste great. It's like dark chicken meat and you start incorporating that into your diet. And oh man, I'm just I'm making too many rabbits and these fodder trees are just producing so many leaves. Now all of a sudden I don't have any outside food inputs. I'm not buying any food for the rabbits. So that gourmet meat that's $15 a pound is all of a sudden $0 a pound. So I've replaced what was garbage chicken that I was buying from the supermarket with a gourmet, beyond organic, beyond sustainable, really highly nutritive meat that now my family's eating. And not only have I replaced garbage nutrition with fantastic nutrition, but now it's free. It's just a little bit of labor. Now, that's all well and good. That's great. But we also have the benefit of the fertility building up. So... Our little postage stamp uh, garden plot is also producing much better because we're growing all the fertility we need with the rabbits and the fodder trees. So we're making this closed loop of, of energy buildup. It's like we're, we're just investing into our property and we're getting interest and building and building and building and building, and it's becoming more and more fertile and productive. Think about it from – a dollars standpoint. It's like you're it's really, literally like you're growing money on trees. You know?
1: Well yeah, and so they're they're so you're now you're feeding the rabbits free food. They're eating grass and tree leaves. Right. Maybe you're throwing them a little bit of alfalfa or something like that as a kicker, but it's a very, very small amount relative to their total diet. But they're taking all of that, processing in into rabbit pellets. You're putting the rabbit pellets in the garden. You're building fertility. If you want to even look at that as a direct ROI, what is what does a 40-pound bag of organic garden soil cost right. at, at Home Depot or Lowe's? And the uh-huh. answer is about $12, somewhere between $9 and $12, depending on the brand and how good mm-hmm. it is. Right. So how many tons over five years can you build of that fertility to the point where you could even monetize it? Right? Like when you're like you will get to a point if you're doing this where you're like okay if I put any more on top of the garden the garden is going to now be a a, a hill. Right? But you're going to have neighbors who are like why is your garden so good? Mm-hmm. Let me show you. Let me show you why. So now we throw a worm bin into this and and we start taking oh, yeah. the the rabbit pellets and feeding them to the worms and then we start building worm casting, we start building worm tea, right? And now we can also sell for we can sell the compost, we can sell the worm castings and we can sell the worm concentrate. Right. Right. In a little jar and say, okay, here's a quart of this, but mm-hmm. it's concentrated, you can, you know, dilute it like like fifteen to one. Right. So it's really fifteen quarts mm-hmm. of actual fertility and you can sell that, or you can even give it away if it buys silence. Like that's the other thing I tell people like, you know, Brad Davies, he grows all those quail in his garage and miraculously his two closest neighbors have all the quail and all the eggs they want for free. Right. But there's never been a phone call to the department of making you sad. About the quail in the garage, right. like it just doesn't happen, right? Yeah, like, like because if I do that, no quail for me,
2: right? Right. So now I have a vested he's, interest in keeping this he's, going. He's here. growing happy neighbors, yeah. and helpful neighbors. Farm your neighbors,
1: not just your food, <laughs> right. right?
2: And so you know, some people might say, "Well, I don't want to eat rabbit. I've tried; it. I don't like it." Well, don't eat it. You still have the fertility, and if not that, then I mean. I raised I started raising rabbits cuz my wife didn't want to eat rabbit meat. I started raising them for the fertility and for dog food. You butcher the rabbit and you skin it. It takes 30 seconds to skin a rabbit, when especially
1: you, if it's for a dog.
2: Right. When, <laughs> once you, once you get the hang of it, it's it's really quick and easy. The fur and, you know, the feet and head go in the compost pile and the rest of the body of the rabbit, you don't even have I don't even gut it.
1: I, with my dog, I would just service cervical dislocation and just give the dog the rabbit for yeah, it all. That's
2: that's Charlie what I eats them all the time anyway. That's what I ended up going to <laughs> like with yeah. with my Livestock Guardian dogs is the the grow- rabbit would come out of the cage, cervical dislocation, and then I'd toss it directly to the dog, and then boom, they got fed. And one big Livestock Guardian dog would eat on that rabbit for two or three days and be happy and content. Wow. Yeah. yeah, Charlie swallows him like a Burmese python. I mean, the whole thing breaks right? right down. People say, but
1: like you're feeding him all the bones and the hair. What do you think a dog does? They're
2: literally when he's a wild dog. They're like, literally designed to handle that.
1: So, them. so let me get this straight. So the coyote,
2: right, bounces through the meadow,
1: right, and he sees the mouse. He jumps up in the air and he grabs the mouse and he kills it. He takes it to the coyote butcher. <laughs> <laughs> The coyote butcher skins it and parts it out, and then he eats right. it with microgreens on a plate. Debones it. Yeah, right. No, I, he eats the freaking mouse. Right? right. I had a little um, like a rat terrier when I was a kid, and one day I watched that dog eat about eighteen mice in about twenty minutes. Gosh. He was just running around the yard, and every time he got one, you'd see him like throw his head up. And you're like eh, one. <laughs> right. Like how many is he gonna eat? He ate like eighteen, and finally he came like back up to the patio, and he's like. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm done now. Yeah. You can tell I'm tired. I need a nap. <laughs> I need a nap, a mouth nap. But yeah, I think like you got to start looking at the value of the property and increasing it in unconventional ways. I'm all for home remodels and all. I'm a really good flipper. Uh, I don't flip professionally, but every house we've ever bought, the money we put into it came back in spades. We've always sold our house. like We sold our house in the middle of a housing crisis in a week for above asking price, and the seller waived the home inspection because they didn't want somebody else to come buy the house out from underneath them, because we know the trick of making your house just a little bit better than everything else in the price range. That's right. the 1% effect, is the book Dustin and I wrote. Um, but these other methods, the beauty of those are, home assessors that charge you tax for owning your own property, um, they don't generally factor these things in. They see right. a deck in a Google image, they say, oh, we just added value. He put a pool in, he added value. Right. right? But they see trees and it's just trees. They don't understand right. the value. They don't know that you've got a garden plot there that produces $500 worth of food a month. They have no mm-hmm. idea of that and they have no way to get their arms around it. Um, like the late great Toby Hemingway called it liberation permaculture. Mm-hmm. That you had all of these things that you like. The reason that they love grain is they can tax it, they can sequester it, they can hold it, they can turn it into money. They can use it for population control. They can do all these things with it because you can put it in a silo and leave it there for a year. Like all this other stuff is it's mushy. It's it's not tangible. Right. You can't get your hands around what is the value of a rabbit tree? You and I could probably sit down in about five minutes with Excel and tell you exactly what the value of that rabbit tree is, but government people not only don't think that way, most of them can't. Right. They have no ability Mm-hmm. To think that way, right? And right. if they did, you would get you'd challenge the court like really, really fast too. Mm-hmm. So like, there's all these ways to make the house worth more but not pay more for it.
2: Right, because it's not a dollar amount; it's a perceived value, it's a lifestyle value. You know, it's it's going to be a comparative value. You know, it's the ability
1: it. to survive a given number of days forward. Correct. Right, without being reliant on an outside system. So let's move on. We've kind of danced on this already with entrepreneurship. I think right now. Might be the most important time for people to get entrepreneurial. You were asking me some questions of my opinion of that last night. That was before the first run.
2: So if you can remember,
1: (laughs) you want to kind of go down that path and some of the things you're thinking and why you are starting to think that way?
2: Well, you know, I was asking Jack last night um, about his thoughts on this upcoming election, what we're expecting with that. And he and I are both, uh, you know, solidly in the same, you know, thinking the same exact thing. And and this has been a long, long bull market. Really long.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, I don't, like, when, when Obama, like, is claiming credit for all of it, I think that's stupid. But the Obama administration presided over a continuously upward market. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't parabolically upward like it is now. Right. But pretty much from one year in, it went down some more. But when we <laughs> hit the bottom in February of 2009, there has been nothing but
2: upward. Right. The, the only question is how much upward has there been? Exactly. And you know, my question was, <laughs> things that go up must always come down, and yeah. and thinking about these election cycles, and I think I think for sure, Trump is pro- almost assuredly going to have a second term, unless the Kong
1: flu causes a global depression or something. You've right. got Donald Trump until twenty twenty four. He'll probably get impeached three more times. He'll still be there until twenty twenty four, right?
2: And and you know, I was. I'm thinking that there will probably end up being a downturn towards the end of his second term. Yeah. And and that there's a very real possibility that that economic downturn is going to be worse than the 2008 downturn.
1: Even if it's not worse, right. they'll make it worse. Right. Because they will be mm. so sick of Trump. Mm-hmm. And they don't want Orange Man 2.0, whoever that will be. That If it's... If, it's a, if the bad on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst, is a 4, mm-hmm. they will set the alarm at 8.5 and right. scream, which will make people panic. Which, which will, make, will it make it worse. Which right. will make it worse. They'll actually make it an 8, right? They'll actually drag it to there to get rid of the evil orange man clone, whoever, mini-me, mm-hmm. of, of, of Trump, whoever that's going to be. I don't think it would be Pence. Um, maybe it'll be Donald Trump Jr., who knows, right? <laughs> like, something like that. Like So they'll want to get rid of him. They'll crash the economy even worse. And I want to be clear. First of all, I don't think Trump will do everything right. I don't think any politician is capable of doing everything right. But I think if he did everything right, you're still getting this recession. It has nothing to do with yeah. the incompetence of the orange man. It has to do with cycles. Yeah. And this cycle has gone way too long yeah. and way too high not to correct. And then you get the convergence of automation technology and things like that yep. that are coming yep. in. And you we're seeing it now. But to be fair, the orange man did a lot with tax cuts, a lot with bringing in business. A lot of Chinese companies quit doing business in China and are building here. You were, your project was dir- that you were on for several months. Yeah, oh, almost, almost a, year, a year. Right. Was a direct result of a Chinese company going, we build factory in America. Circumvent right. this tariff shit. Right. Like, that yeah, was yeah. their whole plan. Like, we just build the shit there. Right. Right. Um, so that has done a lot to offset all of the kind of low-end workers that have been losing their job. Because here's what I've noticed. When I go to the grocery store, they still have checkout people. Mm -hmm. There's half the number of people there that there were two years ago. And there's not a big line on the self-checkout. And the ones they kept are actually the least competent. Because I think the competent have left. I don't think they fired them. I think the competent have moved up to a point where, like, I've I've hit kind of the the plastic ceiling in grocery retail. And (laughs) since the economy's improving, they're going somewhere else. And plastic ceiling. <laughs> plastic ceiling, you know. Uh, <laughs> the cellophane ceiling. The Tupperware ceiling. I've The Tupperware ceiling. So they go off and they get a better job. And the grocery stores know that they really need to prune back on the number of people they have working there. Mm-hmm. So they're just not replacing them. Yeah. And this is just a foreshadowing because... People said I was nuts when I said this. Now everybody's like, look, it's happening. You are going to go to the store, you're going to put your shit in your cart, and you're going to leave. And you're never even going to have to speak to anybody. You're not going to have to have a long diatribe about what fennel is. right? You're not going to do any of that. You're just going to pick up your shit and you're going to go. Yeah. And people are like, well, you can steal that way. They have lots of stealing happening right now. All they have to do is make it as little or less stealing than they're already dealing with. And then you get rid of all of the people who are functioning with an IQ like three points north of being, you know, mentally incapable. Right. That when you watch them scan an avocado, because it's green and round, it has literally pushed their mental capability to the edge, and everybody's going to be screaming, well, they need a job. But they're not going to have one. And there's a cascade effect when this happens
0: mm-hmm.
1: of other peripheral jobs and supporting jobs and stuff changing and shifting. And yeah. you got that, you've got the real potential for full-on sparkly, shiny, democratic socialism going full bore in 2024. Yeah, And people would say, well, if you're going to have socialism, why be an entrepreneur? Because those were the people that did the best in the worst socialist countries, and right. as much as I hate this, it won't be as bad as the worst socialist countries. I think one of the mistakes we're making in defending ourselves in this is going, look at Venezuela! <sighs> we're, we're, we're not going to be Venezuela. right? right? We're not going to be Cuba. We'll probably be worse than Norway. Mm-hmm. because unlike Norway we don't have a small country with really tough immigration laws in the United States providing our defense for us right right we don't have any of that mm-hmm. we don't have a homogenous society that generally doesn't cause any shit to begin with right so we don't have that like some countries actually will function better with socialism than others it's not the best either way but if you're going to be giving out free shit to people you can't also have open borders right right but no matter where you go it's always the entrepreneur that was able to carve out an existence and survive because I don't know about you, but I'm not firing me. Right, I'm I mean, not firing me. My boss is an a-hole, but he's not going to fire me. <laughs> yeah, I have a shirt that says I hate my boss, and I'm self-employed. And there's there's some reality to that, but yeah, he's not going to fire me. Like uh-huh. you know, it's not going to happen. And people will have money. Not everybody will have money. There will right. be people with money, and you only need a certain amount of people with money who want to buy from you. Exactly. That's all you need to be successful, especially if you're doing these other things that we're talking about. But man, I would like just to get the experience, these things like Airbnb and DoorDash and stuff like that. Right. That's going to go away too. Because self driving drones and shit are going to bring, you know, Jose his PF Changs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Like that's a limited thing. But I don't know if you heard the interview we did a couple weeks ago with Brian Norton. He's always been big into mm-hmm. these side yes. hustles, he does DoorDash. But he doesn't go out to do DoorDash. He goes out about his life. Right. Turns his DoorDash app on. You know, and 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 Tom wants, you know, uh, some fries and some shit from Chick-fil-A and it's like a $5 fare. Decline. I'm not doing that. But then, you know, Karen, right? Karen's having a dinner party and it's a $25 fare and like Pf Chang's is right there, and Karen lives right there. But Karen doesn't want to leave, right? So that's twenty five bucks for ten minutes worth of work. Mm-hmm. He said a lot of times on a mm-hmm. weekend he'll make two three hundred dollars in a weekend, and he doesn't go out to do it. It's, it's when just, he's running his shit he right. just turns it on. You're making just extra money, and like that is here now. Yeah. It will not be here forever. He told us about another thing. I can't remember what it's called. It's something camp or something. But it's through Airbnb, mm-hmm. and it's for campers through Airbnb. Yeah, I saw that. And he was talking about that. He also talked about how like he had turned his garage into like a uh, like an apartment, mm-hmm. and he had a renter. And getting rid of him was like getting rid of the tech that's embedded in right. your arm because he was a tenant. Mm-hmm. So once he did get rid of him, because the cop. Then he called and said, I, I can't do anything. This is your procedure. You have to go to court. You have to do all this. It took him like 60 days to get rid of this guy. Jeez. While he wasn't a, paying his rent. What a nightmare. Right, And he was causing problems, too. What initially started the problem was not, not paying the rent. It was he was a problem. And then when he was told to leave, he said, well, I'm not paying the rent. Right. right. So they couldn't get rid of him. So now he rents the thing for the same amount of money that he makes, because so it charges a little more, mm-hmm. through Airbnb. And you can rent to somebody for months through Airbnb. But they're not a tenant if they're through Airbnb, and if they're a problem and you do call the police, they will grab the guy and throw him on his face into the street for you, and then he has to leave. Right. So like he's just mitigating risk there, Mm -hmm. and he's you know he could be making more money, but he he sees the piece that Airbnb gets is risk mitig like like buying insurance. Yep. I have the ability to throw you out on your face, and so there's so and he's just doing the Airbnb experiences. Because he roasts coffee, mm-hmm. so people come and get to roast coffee. So the coffee he would have sold them for fifty bucks, right? They do all the work and pay three hundred dollars for it,
0: right?
2: And like you just have to start thinking that way, yeah. And I'm not saying to do any of those individual things, but but start thinking outside the box. Yeah. Start thinking creatively. How can I? How can I? Cut some cost. How can I get around this stuff? How can I make a little bit of money? You know, like, like yeah. him doing the the. Whatever dash thing. Yeah. I'm already out and about. I'm already driving around town. It's function stacking. Right. It's function stacking. Exactly. With money. Yeah.
1: And it amazes me. People say, like, it's hard to have money. It's hard to get money, whatever. And it's like, you know, if I I know people who really didn't do shit with their life, but they wanted to play a guitar. So they focused their entire life on how to play a guitar. You know what? That guy can play the shit out of a guitar. Well, money works the same way. If Mm -hmm. you actually focus on how to acquire money, Mm -hmm. how to budget money, and how to invest money, you will have money. Right? There's no way around that. You will have money. And I've seen people that have an income problem, but I've also seen people that have an outgo problem. right? Right? People that make lots of money. Your classic person is the doctor. Yeah. Because, and I'll tell you why it happens to them. They live like a pauper. For 10 years, and they're treated like a slave through their entire residency and internship. And people think, like, you see the doctor at the hospital, he's like his third year resident, and all. He's probably making less money than, like, a guy driving a truck. And he's saddled with $400,000 in student loan debt that's still acquiring interest because he's making minimum payments on it. They finally get past that. They get a good salary. They get good money. They get prestige. Yep. They get rid of that debt. Most doctors. That is the one thing they're good about. They pay off that student loan debt because it's so big and it's so easy for them once they get to that point in their career. But then, woohoo! And they it's just party are time. Spending money on everything, and all their friends are doctors, and all their friends drive Porsches and go to the golf course, so they do it too. And they have no throttle on the outgoing, right? So you have to balance both the outgoing and the incoming. And if there's a insufficiency on the incoming. Then you got to figure out how to make some more money, right? And if there is an insufficiency or a a surplus on the outgoing, you got to figure out how to cap it. But that's really all there is to it. And entrepreneurship really changes that equation because now, like we were saying earlier, you're making money. Mm -hmm. See, as you're you're earning money, there's a certain weird thing in the human mind for most people anyway that, like, well, it's their money. Yeah, it's their money, and I got their money. But when you make money. It's your money,
0: mm-hmm. and when
1: something's yours, it's not just space credits, right? Now it's that's my life in there, and you right. become a little bit more jealous about letting it go out the door, right?
2: You know? And uh, you know, you're talking about all this. I think the time to to be training yourself. You know, if you're not someone who's been entrepreneurial minded for their whole life, now is the time to be training yourself. Yeah, when, it, when the economy is doing well. This is the time that you want to be picking up that, that ability to think outside the box, to think like that, to be practicing that, that skill set while While well, it's easy. While I mean it's why? easy, because if there's, a, if there's a big recession, it's going to be harder. So if you have been practicing it and building up a nest deck, building up a, a fund where you can take advantage of opportunities... Because when an opportunity comes along and you need five thousand dollars to snatch it up and make it into something good, and you don't have five thousand dollars, that opportunity goes right past you. But if you've been spending your time and your effort building up that that uh, pool of resources, and then there, you know, times get tough. Now all of a sudden.
1: It's the same as prepping. You buy all your shit while it's at the store cheap. Right. You don't wait till there's a crisis to go buy your shit. People are like, why aren't you freaking out about coronavirus? Because, well, what would I do? I would stay home. I have shit here. I'm good. Yeah. Like, I I mean, I'm not going to worry about this thing that has a death rate that's lower than, like, tonsillectomies, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really not going to freak out about that. I do understand the pressure it could put on on supplies and resources, which would be relatively short. There'd be a huge spike of everybody freaking out, and then... The supply chain would, because that's always the people that freak that cause the shelves to empty. Mm-hmm. And then once the shelves empty and people all go home, they fill them back up because it's not the end of the world. It's not the bubonic right. plague on steroids. It's, it's a dog lung infection, basically. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. They have a vaccine for it. Really? It's a different strain, Mm -hmm. but it's literally the same functionality because dogs get a version of the coronavirus that Hmm. we don't get. And they've had that vaccine for dogs for like 10 years. Hmm. And that's why they're saying they can have a vaccine by August to December at the latest for this because all they're doing is taking this vaccine procedure and making it with the new coronavirus – now in America it would take you know, five years of testing and Chinese are like we well, just inject that shit and see what happens right, right. I mean, like <laughs> they actually are treating it now they're using a, co- a cocktail of drugs that includes um, an AIDS drug, an Ebola drug, and and a malaria drug, God. and that had to be like try everything <laughs> you know the government in China is like just try everything and the doctors are like well what about safety do we stutter <laughs> right? and so the other doctors are like. Uh, malaria? Yeah. And then the other doctor's like, what about Ebola? Yeah, throw that in there too. Two, Both of them? Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, what about HIV? Yeah, throw that in there. Let's try it. And then everybody's like, holy shit, it worked. <laughs> and it, it did. It seemed like it knocked it right out. Hmm. Right. So they've they've got a treatment. They've got a dog vaccine. Right. What they have to do now is, roll. now I think what they're going to end up doing is they're going to use it as a big fear-mongering thing to tell you how important vaccines are. Because oh, they sure. already have the talking, you know, empty head skirts on TV. Going, well, well, should I? With this all going on, should I go get my flu shot? Well, and they got some medical idiot like, well, of course you should. Well, why should I get my flu shot if, if you know, at least she, she asked that question. Like, if it's if it's really coronavirus, the word. Well, if you get the flu and the coronavirus, right? So, like, right. and she's like, well, if we're not really at risk in the U.S., so. If they do come out with this vaccine, should I go get that too? Uh Of course you should. Go get all your vaccines. Make sure you suck up as much mercury as you can. Look at my white coat. Yeah, I have a white coat. White coat syndrome is a thing. So I do think we're at a time where we need to be taking entrepreneurship paths because it is so easy. Mm -hmm. And the skill set you build up will mean that whenever... Because everybody's going to figure this out. Like in another five years-ish... There's going to be so few, not so few, there's going to be lots of conventional jobs. There's going to be a shortage of them, though. Like right now we have this weird thing that happened. Everybody thought this was going to happen, and there's like a surplus of jobs. But there is a shortage of people to do them. Just because there's like 60,000 open jobs in Texas right now doesn't mean you can get one. There's a shortage of people actually qualified to do those jobs. That will accelerate automation. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't find people. Somebody build me a freaking robot that does this thing, right? right. So there are all, there's going to be all these great opportunities, but the ability to just get a job stamping something or you know, QCing a lamp that comes down like that is going to like not go away, but really shrink. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Well, I, I got to come up with something to do." Well, you can have five years of established business, branding, marketing, and experience, and let that person compete with you. Or you can be just like that person out of the gate, and they're all scrambling against each other because yeah. that is what's coming. I mean, and it's just a logical progression, and it's not even so much a progression; it's a regression. You go back to the early days of the United States, shortly after the Revolution. Exactly, ninety percent of people were entrepreneurs in some way, right? Because you in had some to be. Way. You had way. to be to make Even if you had a factory job, you still had other things you did. Almost everybody, even people with jobs, had some level of... farm. Like, farming was the number one thing that employed people. Mm-hmm. And we're just going back, because it's a natural human thing, for cycles to cycle. right? I think I have a law of life about that or something. But. Let's talk about property, though, Nick. Like, when you're evaluating a property for someone, I think it's really important that people get off of this concept that, like, there's a perfect type of property. There might be a perfect type of property... For you, for you, yeah. But it may not be a perfect property for me, right? right? Like, like how how do you take your goals and assess a property relative to those goals?
2: Oh man, that's a big, that's yeah. a big question. I didn't think I was going to drop that shit. On you, did
1: you? <laughs>
2: Actually, all right. So let's let's think about this from kind of a systematic approach. This is pretty much what I do when I step onto a piece of property and I'm assessing the property for the client. I we always walk the property and we talk about the client's needs, their wants, their desires, you know, the problems that they've been dealing with. And what I do is I put my myself into their shoes and I say, okay, how would I solve their problems and how would I design things um, to to meet their goals versus my goals? Right. So. So what that really always boils down to is, um, often what people do. Let, let me back, backtrack just a little bit. Often what people do, will they they'll say, okay, I'm looking for these solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I need swales because swales are a solution. <laughs> no. And then and it, they often will say, where would I? Where would you put swales? And I'll say, well, hold on a second. Why are you wanting you know, – what is your – what are your ultimate goals? In five years, where do you want to be with this property? What do you want this property to be doing for you? What do you want to be getting out of the property? How do you want to be living on this property? So those are the questions that you first have to ask yourself, and you let those goals, those needs dictate what – actions need to be taken. And those actions that need to be taken, like, okay, I need to plant fruit trees because I want fruit from my property, right? So my desire is fruit trees, I mean fruit and fruit that grows on trees. So therefore I need fruit trees. Okay. So now I have to assess, can I grow fruit trees on this property? Is it steep slope, Northern facing well, guess what? You're not going to be going... Yeah, you're not doing that. Don't buy that place. Right, don't buy that place. If um, So let's say fruit trees, all right? Do we have good drainage or bad drainage? Well, it's, it's relatively good drainage, but when it's really wet, it's really wet, okay? Do we have really clay soils, or is it kind of sandy loam? It's got sandy loam, all right, great. Well, then what we need to do... Uh, in this kind of a situation, is um, you you know, we're assessing this property. It's got sandy loam, um, it's not really steep slopes, it's relatively flat, and then when it gets wet, there's standing water all over the place. Okay? Well then, in our assessment of this, now we know we can't just put fruit trees directly in the ground, because in the wet part of the year, they're going to suffer. They're not going to do well with that. So, Um, that's the kind of a situation where, yes, swales actually do make make sense in this context. Because Because
1: we're spreading water. Right. That's our main focus in that type of a property. We don't want all the water here and no water over there. We want to spread the water.
2: And also, we want to... Get through the dry season. We want to get through the dry season. We want to get through the wet season. Often, people don't even consider Mm -hmm. the wet season might be more detrimental to those trees than the dry season. Because if they're sitting underwater, they're going to die. So we dig out a ditch. We use all that material to build up a berm to get those trees out of the water. And then now we can concentrate that water and utilize it for a longer period of time. Absolutely. And you know, when you're looking at it from that angle, you could be talking about a, a
1: multi-acre property or something. It's right. like kind of pu- pulling this back to the person. It's like, I really would love to live out in sticks or whatever, but right. I can't because I need a job and they have to kind of settle for suburban areas. So we've been talking a lot about the Karens and Kyles today. Yeah, You want to sell stuff to Karen and Kyle, you don't want to live next to them. Right. Right. So then we need to start looking at, from my standpoint of this, where I live, urban rural fringe, which is a, a term uh, David Holgram came up with, co founder of Permaculture, where I have access to all the Karens and Kyles I want, right. but I don't have to see them unless I want to. They live right down the road. You know where they are. They're mm-hmm. right down there. They're giant Karen McMansions are right down the road, but no one can tell me how to live here. And I think, like, a big part of this is freedom to do whatever it is you want to do. So HOAs are the devil you know, if you can find unincorporated. And for God's sakes, don't assume anything about what you're allowed to do or not allowed to do by laws and regulations. I don't care if the person across the street from you has goats. If you want goats, you better make sure that you can have goats. Because maybe no one complained about that person's goats yet. And Karen might move in tomorrow. Right. And then she'll call the wrong person. Or for all you know, that person across the street or around the corner is actually in a different jurisdiction than you are, Right. but like you don't know what you don't know, so you have to determine, like, because restrictions are both beautiful and antithetical for design. Jeff Lawton says, of course, the more restrictions the more elegant the design, if the designer's good, but there are some things you can't design around. If you want goats, and you live where goats are prohibited and on the scale of permanence, laws and codes are just barely underneath things like mountains. Right, they can be changed, but they are very difficult to change. Right, if you have a tree blocking solar radiation, you can cut the tree down. Right. right, but if you want to change a law, there's a reason when something's hard. They say it takes an act of Congress to do it because it's it's difficult to do. Right, and it's much easier to get a law passed to restrict something
0: mm-hmm.
1: than to remove one that restricts something. Mm-hmm. That's very very difficult to do in our day and age. So you got to determine that stuff's not there, and then. What do you want to do? If you want a side hustle, you do not want to live in the middle of nowhere. Right. Unless your side hustle works for that. It's right. all online. It doesn't matter. You have no geographic... Like me, I could be on the moon and if I have an internet connection, I can do my job. Right. Right. Don't want to live there, but I could. But if you want to be able to sell a product to people that you don't ship online, mm-hmm. you do not want to be far away from people. You want Karen and Karen and Kyle to be... Down the road a bit, you know, but like it can be if you're doing a CSA like we talked about, it can be even a little bit of a ride. But if you want Karen and Kyle to come every weekend,
2: yeah, it you can't need to, be that much of a ride. You need to be centrally located. Yeah, you know, uh, th- think about your your interests and your your giftings. You know, you might be someone who is really good at small engines and small engine repair type stuff. Well, you want to be somewhere that people have those. And need them repaired, and lack the skill to do it. So if you're out in the
1: sticks, every every bubba knows how to fix a lawnmower, right? Right, sling blade, whatever, right? They know how it works.
2: You look, Karen and Kyle, all they know is they need a lawnmower, right? And they're going to use a lawnmower, and if it breaks, they're either going to have it repaired by someone else, or they're going to put it on the side of the road. Yep. Where all it needs is just the carb cleaned out. That's where I was going with this. And and they're going to look for a new one. So if you're cruising the neighborhoods looking for those pieces of equipment just being set out that have nothing wrong with them other than just a little bit of routine maintenance. Like, for instance, um, the fuel line accidentally popped off. Yeah. And now it's not getting fuel, and they can't figure out what's wrong with it. And they set it on the side of the road, and you pick it up, and you look, and the fuel line has popped off. You plug it in. Pump it up and and pull it and it runs sweet. Now you sell it to Karen and Kyle earlier in their career
1: that can't afford the new lawnmower. Right on Craigslist.
2: Right. You know you might want to be thinking. Which I of- want to change
1: the name of Craigslist to Karen's List. I, just, <laughs> I actually want to start my own classified ad site uh-huh. called Karen's List. I just just now decided I want to do that. <laughs> Somebody
2: go ahead and do it because I'm never going to get to it. Karen's List. But you know, thinking about you know <laughs> if you're if you're acquiring new property. Um, <laughs> or or you're looking to
1: move or Wait, whatever. I don't mean to interrupt you. Karen's list is not a place to sell things, it's a place to complain. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead.
2: So, l- let's say you're you're comparing a couple different properties and one of them has a shop, right? And you're into small engine repair. That might be a lot more you know, on that I really need this part of your list and, you know, it it might be It's an old rundown shop and it needs a lot of repair or there's another spot that, you know, it just has a garage. Well, you have to really think about and assess, you
1: know. Well, and you have to look like if you really wanted to build a small engine business up Mm -hmm. and you didn't have that, what would it cost you to lease a space to do that in? Right. Right. And then so then what – the value of the property assessor that sets your mortgage rate – Says that that shop's worth
0: mm-hmm. maybe
1: way less than the value of it to you. When we right. lived in Arkansas, uh, I spent $700 a month on an office, right? When I moved here, taking the $700, adding it to the existing property payment, and coming out the same exactly. was pretty much break even. Plus, I got all this extra shit. Right. And I didn't need an office anymore. So that made the financial move back here make a lot of sense because my mortgage up there was $400 a month, mm-hmm. right? Which is pretty cheap. But then you add 700 bucks to it in rent, right? Mm-hmm. So then I move here and I get the shops, I get three acres, I can start running workshops, I can make, you know, 20 grand a year on workshops. All of that made it financially advantageous to move here, even though it looked like I was actually spending more, not less money. Right. And as far as the government knows, I'm spending more, not less money, right? That's right. Because again, back to 90% of the tax code. Boy, exactly. that, that's coming up a lot today, but guys, the other thing, you, when you become an entrepreneur, if you're not using it to tax advantage, you are just missing half of it. Now, I want to be clear on that. People think, well, I'll start a business just for the tax deduction. Doesn't work that way. You start a business, you make money, and you get the tax deductions. And then the money you make has greater value. But if you just lose money on it, if you want to do that, then just open up Your Name Inc. and tell me how much money you want to lose. I will provide you worthless consulting but I will bill you for the exact amount of money you want to lose. That's the only thing you have to do, and you will pay my bill, and I will pay tax on it, and you can deduct it if that's what you, that's my business model. I'm I'm also available for that. Loser Consult Loser Consultants <laughs> Incorporated, right? Like if you want to lose money, we'll help you. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And you got to look at the totality of what you really want in your life. And I think a lot of people really need to think against big properties out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, especially as we age. Mm -hmm. Like when you're 40, you don't think you're going to be old, but then you're 45, right? So 30 and 35, there's like, there's literally no difference in your life. Mm -hmm. 40 and 45, all kinds of shit starts to break. Mm -hmm. I mean, and then you start to start thinking about being 55 and 65 and you start realizing things like, you know those tiny houses with a loft bed? When you have to pee three times a night, they're not so nice. Right. Right. Even you know, if design. you get up and down, like it's not about getting up and down. It's having to get up and down. right? right. Or if you keep dogs. You don't want a loft bed if you keep dogs because I guarantee you one of those dogs is going to want to go out at night.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: either you need to automate a way for the dog to get outside or you need to not sleep in a loft bed because it's much easier to just open the door and let the dog right. out. Right. You know, So all that stuff has to be thought of. Um, let's talk about something big with you because you kind of took a project, went like full bore, working overtime for almost a year, and one of your big goals was elimination of debt. So I combined frugal living and debt elimination in one line item.
2: Right. Um, you know, looking for... One of our... My wife and I have been thinking strategically about the next, you know, the next four, five, six years and how are we going to position ourselves to be in the best position that we possibly can be. And one of the big things that we've identified that we need to do is eliminate debt so that's what we've that's what we've been focusing a lot on is debt elimination and then you know taking a real honest hard look at what we spend money on how we're spending money and getting developing a a budget and sticking to it and getting rid of little extraneous things where we're spending you know, $20 a month, $20 a month, $20 a month for years when we're not really getting that much value out of it. You know, you got a, a Netflix subscription and a Hulu subscription and you got this other, these other entertainment subscriptions. Well, if you got rid of all that junk and you spent that money on something else that was going to bring you a lot more joy and Give your family something to do together. That would be, you know, for instance, we've got three boys and mm-hmm. they want to learn how to drive. Well, the oldest is is eight. Yeah, they you, get mad when you let a eight year old drive. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you know, it's a little hard for him to reach the pedals and see over the, you know, like the dash. Not kill people at the same time. Yeah. So so what? Because rule one of driving is don't kill anybody. Right, <laughs> uh, including yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, what can we do to cut some of our expenses and reallocate that money in a way that is going to be fun and is also going to give my kids some, some skills and tie strings of fellowship with them? You know, So a- the way this happened is I'm out in my garage working, putting my farm <laughs> back together, and I
1: get a phone call, and this is what I get. I answer the phone because it's Nick, so he's one of the few people I will answer the phone for. I will not send a voicemail. So I answer the phone. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm working. <laughs> okay, well, 10 minutes from your house, there's a house in a subdivision. At that house is a go-kart. <laughs> and that guy is selling that go-kart, and if somebody is going to buy it tonight if I don't. So I got shanghaied. into. It wasn't 10 minutes away, by the way. It was like in a place I was very glad to be armed when I was there. But there's now two go-karts in the back of my truck, which are slated for... Nick's young kiddos to
2: learn how to drive. Right. And by the way, learn how to fix, too. Exactly. Yeah, they're going to learn maintenance. Exactly. And so, you know, there's... Obviously, we got it off of Craigslist, so there's going to be problems with them. So they're going to be involved in uh, clearing the woods to make paths. So they're going to be working outside because they want to. Yeah. So their internal drive now is... I want to make more roads so I can have more fun. But
1: if Nick's putting in a, you know, a nursery and a greenhouse, and needs mm-hmm. a path to go there. Exactly. That might be where the flags for the kids to build their path go.
2: Right.
0: Right. So, we're function
2: stacking here. <laughs> so, instead of spending money on relatively worthless entertainment, we're reallocating that money to something that is going to teach my kids practical skills. And, lo- and
1: trick them into working.
2: It, yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's training them to love working, to enjoy working because they're they're res- they're fulfilling that need in themselves to do something and have a a great result. And you know, we got the one go go kart, and then we got another frame. So all I need is another engine and the other components, mm-hmm. and now they can be racing each other and. You know, this is an inadvertent gift to me because now me and my wife can be racing each other out in the woods too. Sure. On go karts. And that's a lot of stinking fun. Yeah. And it's expensive. If you go pay somebody to
1: race go karts in a little right. round track, not in the woods, not having fun, it's it's like exactly 25 bucks for like 10 minutes or some shit like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that's a great example. I think like what that actually tripped for me there, though, is how many young people I hear from today that like they get their first job out of college or whatever mm-hmm. and they're like, but I don't feel like I'm making a difference in the world, and I want to feel fulfilled, and all. I'm like, yeah, that's not what jobs do. right? Jobs don't make you feel fulfilled. I mean, there's some things that are good emotionally about having a job, having a purpose, yep. being self-sufficient, at least to the point where you pay your bills and all. That's all great, and it's, it's a legitimate path for a lot of people, but if you really want to feel fulfilled, you don't want a job. You want a business. And even the people that have professions that feel fulfilled have some, like we talked about doctors earlier, Doctors generally are some level of entrepreneur. They're right. usually not that great at it, which is like because the ones that are end up like rich as shit, you know, like mm-hmm. like Bones, right? You know, I mean, he was good at what he did. If he did, he actually had, I don't know if you know this the reason he quit his practice. He had an injury. Okay, that made him unable to perform the surgery that he was. Really, nailing right that was his money maker, so he sold his practice to his other partners,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but he doesn 't hurt right now, right? you know, and so the ones that are they make a lot of money, and they do it through entrepreneurship
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I think that you know at kind a of lawyer like you think your two highest paid classical professions doctor and lawyer also end up being some level of entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. you know you can go be a public defender, but you don 't make any money. The only reason you go be a public defender is so you learn all the inside baseball. On the prosecution side, because then you go defend rich people, right? Right. And You look for your best client as a lawyer, rich, angry, and wrong. That's that's your that's you could retire off two of those, right? And that like that's that's the path that those people take. But if you don't want to go through all of that bullshit and you want to feel fulfilled, grow food.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's 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 an example. Right. It's not the thing, but find something you can do that's meaningful to you. Everything wants to. They've sold young people on this idea that, like, whatever you do here should be making starving orphans in Tokyo be fed special grain rice Mm -hmm. or something like that. Like, you should have this massive fulfillment. If you can't fulfill your own desires and needs, you have no business claiming that you have any ability to do it for anybody else anywhere in the world, Mm -hmm. like... So this whole make a difference thing will start right in your own backyard. Start yeah. with your family. Start with your kids. Start with your spouse. Start with you. Right. Right. And like that's a big part of all this. If you actually want to fulfill your life, somehow we started off with talking about eliminating debt. Right. But but well, it's, it's valid, right? Like because if you're in debt, then you're a slave. Yeah. I had a job offer one time, and I actually didn't get the offer because they found out I was debt free. And it was a very high-paying sales job, but they wanted somebody that was, like, hungry, so hungry and so afraid that they wouldn't be able to pay their bills next month that they would kill somebody to sell their product. That was actually the words that were used when I finally, like, because I'm a sales guy, so I follow up, like, hey, what the hell? You didn't make me an offer. I want to know what the hell's going on here. And I finally, like, cornered this one poor lady on the phone, and, like, she said, basically, the hiring manager said, we want somebody that will kill somebody to sell our product because they're that hungry. And this guy, he's good. But he doesn't give a shit, and he'll turn down business if he thinks it's wrong. Right. Okay, well, you got that right. Not, I don't want to work there. But it was it was very eye-opening to me. And then you mm-hmm. realize, like, why do they actually want all these young people with massive amounts of student loan debt? And even if they forgive the debt, which, by the way, that shit ain't happening. Your, your boy Bernie, he's passed three bills in, like, 20 freaking years, and two of them were, like, naming, like, post offices. So, like... You can say whatever you want when you run for president. There's this whole other shitload of people that decide whether you get to do it or not. Right. It ain't happening. But even if they did, the other thing is these kids have massive amounts of credit card debt. Yeah. They're getting credit card loans based on their future earnings in college before they have a job. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And it keeps you a slave to the system. So debt freedom has always been a tenant here. Um, let's talk about something else. I know you've, you've been following some of the... Uh, the saga of the hydroponics on the Regen Ag group and, right. and Facebook. And it's not and not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. I covered a story yesterday about Syrian refugees in camps in Jordan who are using mattress foam and doing hydroponics. And the thing that really moved me about that story was that this scientist, engineer-type guy comes in, doesn't really know that much about growing food, but understands hydroponics, recognizes this need recognizes this surplus of material that's going into landfills because it wasn't just the mattress foam. That was a piece of it right. so they could make the clip bake title of her saving the world with mattresses or some stupid crap. When they could have called the story something like restoring human dignity. That would have right. been a much better you know headline. But yeah, I'm not in that business, I guess. But like they were building the entire systems out of what would have went to landfills right. and giving these people hope. And that you have people that are like, but you're using mined minerals which I always ask them if they use salt on their food, because last time Mm -hmm. I checked, that was a a mind mineral. Um, But I think that's just a metaphor for so much more, where people let perfect be like the mortal, not just the enemy, but like the mortal enemy of the good, and you see a person that could be fixing their life, right? and they literally won't fix their life out of some weird idealism that doesn't even exist
2: anywhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's just being mentally closed off. You know, we get back, we keep hitting on this, changing your mindset, training yourself to think about things differently, to open yourself up to possibilities and options. And, you know, that's, that's one of my, my big job descriptions when I'm traveling around the U.S. Every site is different. They're all the same though. Every, every family, couple, Individual is different, but they're all the same. They all have the same kinds of issues and the same kinds of problems and the same kinds of goals and dreams um, and and the people that get you know on this hydroponics thing they get so focused on the negative that they can't open up their mind to think about okay, hydroponic growing this is a technology. It's a technology that can be used poorly, that is damaging and deadly, or it is a technology that could actually be used completely, 100% regeneratively and amazingly. Like, for instance, the people say, well, it's using plastic. You don't have to use plastic to do hydroponic growing. (laughs) Literally, literally growing duckweed in a mud hole in your backyard is hydroponic growing. It's using... Water to grow plants without soil. Okay. You could be growing that duckweed and harvesting it for your chickens and giving them 20 plus percent leaf matter to be supplementing their diet and you're growing it hydroponically. It could be a little bit of chicken manure that you throw into that mud hole. All right. That's growing hydroponically. So getting out of that mindset of – out of that that kind of rut of always looking at things from the negative and instead just step back and say, okay – what is this really at its core? Growing hydroponically is using water and some nutrients to grow plants. So if I'm really into the beyond uber organic, sustainable, regenerative, whatever, how could I take the good of this and use that? So for instance, you could, you could take some clay from your property. You could make some earthen vessels glazed <laughs> and and some i don't know some wood and you cut some holes in the wood and you float some lettuce in the top of it and you can make a cracky hydroponic thing with a a clay vessel right and the the nutrient fluid could not be from mined minerals <laughs> it could be literally some compost tea or some manure tea that You harvested directly from your property. Well, the
1: best results in trying to do this right now are coming from worm tea. Yeah. That's what's working, and they don't even understand it because they're like, technically there's not enough nutrient in here, but somehow it goes further. What's there goes further because, well, worms are smarter than us in some ways, I think.
2: And I I think (laughs) a large portion of that is there's a lot that we don't understand about the symbiotic relationships between bacteria and fungi and roots.
1: Which, by the way, there's, like, shitloads of bacteria and fungi in those supposedly sterile hydroponic systems. Like, And I'll, I'll admit, I always thought of it that way. And then I decided to do something crazy. Like, it's called educating yourself, right? And like, so, actually, what I did is I tried to prove all these people that were talking about how terrible it was were right. Because I agreed with them. But I was like, okay, I'm breaking my own rule. I can't just say it's bad because everybody knows it's bad because that's stupid. Because you don't know what you don't know. So I tried to build a case for how horrible it was. And my whole case fell apart. The more I learned, the more wrong I was And being like an adult <laughs> that actually like accepts feedback, even when it goes against what I want to believe. Right. I changed my position because I educated myself out of my ignorance. right? And that's like, when you talk about not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, that's the process. Because usually the the... the The perceived perfection doesn't exist. And the perceived negative is generally not as negative as you think it is. Right. But you've accepted a narrative because it fits your worldview. And it's it's very difficult for people to be educated when they don't want to learn. And I would say almost the only way that can happen is you have to decide to do it for yourself. Like once you've made up your mind, nothing I say will change it. You will never accept that... You're wrong about it. There's no way in hell it'll ever happen. The only way will be for you to go try to prove it, and I say do that. Like try to prove that you're right, but get as much data as you can, and you just might find, like I did, that you're wrong. Exactly. You know, and and that can open up. Like we're talking about hydroponics because that's the hot button. But there's how much how much of this do you see in how many other things? Like it's it's unlimited. How much? Oh yeah. You know, people. I wish I could do this. It just the properties. I wish I had mm-hmm. more land. Well, shit, I'm looking out there seeing a third of an acre, and I don't see shit. Mm -hmm. So like, until you max out what that third acre can do for you, Mm -hmm. why are you worried about having more? Right. Because a lot of times, that's a lot like money. Like, You give a person with money problems money, their problems get worse. Mm -hmm. There's a reason they have those problems. Now, if it's some family that was doing everything right and their house burned down and their insurance company won't pay for some reason, that's not what I'm talking about. you have a person with self-made money problems... And you give the money, you come back in a year, they will be a lot. You've you just given an arsonist gasoline and matches, and you're shocked yeah. when there's another fire. Exactly. Right? That's what you've done. And I think perfect being the enemy of the good, money is a big part of that. Well, you know, if I get a better job, well, are you maximizing what you could be doing with what you have right now? Right. You know, so you, Dave Ramsey and I have some disagreements, but one of the things I totally agree with him on is, you know, paying your debt off, take the smallest one, pay it off first, but this one has a bigger interest payment. That doesn't matter. Right, you eliminate what you can eliminate and then snowball. Like, that works. That right. makes sense to me. And most people will say it. They'll, they'll argue it. Well, but I would I would be out if I do a spreadsheet and, and then I did this and I figured out that I should do this one. Listen, if you knew how to run a freaking spreadsheet worth a shit mm-hmm. and actually do what it tells you to do, you would not be in this problem. Right. Right. You would not have this problem. So that's his solution is a, here, you're a train wreck. So I'm going to break this down, Barney style, for you, and this is your solution. And do this, this paint-by-numbers solution, and you can worry about spreadsheets when you get your shit together. Right. You know. So let's let's move on from there because this is going kind of long. Um, the role of animals for homesteaders—you kind of were on this already a little bit, but I want to talk about keeping livestock profitable, mm. even if mm. you're not selling it and there's no direct monetary exchange. And what I mean by that. You were talking about growing rabbits and almost getting the meat for free. Well, if I go out and I raise rabbits and I try to, you know, give my rabbits like, you know, rub downs with uh, the same shit they give Kobe beef and I feed them the most expensive food on planet Earth and I end up spending so much money that I am producing rabbits for myself for $20 a pound. I would be better off going to literally the most expensive place on the internet, D'Artagnan, and buying it for fifteen. I'm actually losing five dollars a pound by growing my own rabbit. So we have to be strategic so that we're actually producing a product that we can't buy for what we're producing, or we're we're at a loss. Right. And I think a lot of homesteaders, you know, you look at what they what they're spending to produce a tomato, right. And you could have bought a tomato factory. Over ten years, right. at that point, like you could have went out and bought a whole greenhouse and made money on tomatoes, you're losing that much money. So, what are your, what are some ways you've seen people think they're doing the right thing, but they're actually losing money? Like, I think chickens is a perfect example. Of oh yeah, of people, chickens. Like, yeah. you're you're producing an egg. Yes, it's an organic egg. It's probably valued at four dollars a dozen, but you're
2: spending ten. Right. So,
1: how do we correct that?
2: Well, I mean, I've done it myself and you know i've made those same kind of mistakes and it's it's when you you start to get a little bit complacent and you have poor design of your system and you have money and you have money
1: yeah you have income
2: and and what'll happen is a lot of times people will um will say uh, you know i was just i literally talking about this uh day before yesterday with a client down around austin and they were asking about planting the fruit, uh, planting fruit trees, and um, and they were interested in fruit trees and and chickens for eggs, and you know only like a couple dozen chickens. That's it. Yeah. And and they were saying, okay, so what about this side of the, you know, they had one one area on the the east side of their house where it was almost perfect for fruit trees. Okay. Okay. So. We line up fruit trees over there, and we turn this whole eastern side into an orchard. And then they're asking about expanding out and putting – just dotting fruit trees all over this other side on, on the west of their property. And I said, well, hold on a second. I don't want you to get ahead of yourself and and start dotting fruit trees and spend 200 bucks in fruit trees putting them in over here. And then five years later, you have these five-year-old fruit trees – that you spent more than two hundred dollars into, and your priorities shift. Yeah, your your needs and your desires change, and all of a sudden, oh, we don't need all these fruit trees, but now we're reluctant to to cut them down because they're five. Year, we've invested so much, and it's it's when people get invested into something and invest poorly that they start making poor decisions.
1: Well, and it's Austin, right? So you're going to irrigate, or they're going to die. So now we have this line of fruit trees on the east side. They get western shade, which is wonderful. We irrigate less, and we have a single straight line shot, Mm -hmm. very inexpensive to irrigate. Now we're going to go be sporadic over here. We're going to have more Mm -hmm. money in irrigation than we're going to have in trees for something that doesn't really have any pattern, so now it doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. And if you do get a plum off that tree, it might be the most expensive plum you ever ate.
2: Right. And, and what I see so many people doing is, is they want all these different things, right?
1: Yeah.
2: And, and, and I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. Yes, all those things can fit into this overall design. But what you need to do is you need to pick one thing every year. And that's my big goal. And we're going to do this one thing and we're going to do it well and, and we're going to, and we're going to finish it. Yeah. Okay. So, so you pick <laughs> the area where your fruit trees are going to be. Uh, there's there's maintenance, there's upkeep, there's irrigation, there's protection from from predators, there's cleaning it up. All that stuff needs to happen with those fruit there's trees. A
1: fertility program. Right. If you want fruit in this climate, there's a spraying program, right. even if it's organic. And right. If
2: you don't do all that shit. So so what I told them was start over there with your fruit trees because that's the ideal place for them. And then once you have that whole space filled up completely, And you, and then you decide we need more because our goals keep moving in that direction. We need more. We need more. We had this great market and, and this is going to tie in perfectly with these other ventures. Then you look at expanding out somewhere else. By the way, you know what the hell you're
1: doing. Exactly. When it comes to how to establish fruit trees. Exactly. Because you've done it already. Right. Where if you try to do it in 10 different places at the same time, Mm -hmm. you're going to screw it all up. So, You'll never get it
2: right. Yeah, so don't spread yourself too thin. Don't bite off more than you can t- chew. Don't start uh, you know 20 different projects and not finish any of them. And then you're running around putting out fires constantly and being unproductive. And then you've got these chickens that aren't in a good system, so they're not harvesting most of their own food. So you're going to the feed store and shelling out hand over fist, money to feed these birds, and then because they're not in a good system, you're having to medicate them and then replace birds because you're invested in a chicken flock of a certain size. And, you know, you may have two dozen birds, and you only need a dozen birds. Well, you know, I I think it really comes down to, a lot of times, constant assessment. Do we need this much? Are we spending money on these birds... And then giving away the eggs. If you're spending no money on the birds because they're free-ranging and you're raising some insects that take almost no time a month to raise extra protein for the birds. And other than that, they're, they're free-ranging and you're not buying any food, but you're getting two dozen eggs a day. And you're feeding your dogs a dozen eggs. That's fine. That's totally fine because it's not costing you anything. But if those eggs are costing you twice as much as what you're buying at the store, you might need to reassess and change.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I think with chickens, like people get addicted. Yeah, oh, I want some of these color ones and I want exactly. some of those ones exactly. and I want some of that and it's just you know, they're uh, $2 at Tractor Supply in the spring and I'll mm-hmm. just pick up 10 of them and like all of a sudden you have 10 animals running around that need a significant amount of food about, you know, somewhere between a third and a fourth of a pound of food a day per bird if you don't have good forage for them. Mm-hmm. And you can have you can have a property where you can have a dozen chickens and they have so much forage, everything's wonderful. Well, all of a sudden you decide you want 25 chickens, and real quick, you're bringing in more food, because not just because you have more birds, because they've over-foraged. There's only so much, they're setting limits to resources and and, and population, (laughs) right? The actual third ethic, like we have to actually think this way. So I think there's, I think that beats that up pretty good, because we're going on a two-hour show here. Um, Let's end up with kind of what started us down this road last night in our rum-infused discussions, what the next five to 10 years
2: look like and what do you think about that? Man, I, you know, like, like we talked about, I think, I think the time to start getting really serious about cutting your expenses, stop, stop bleeding money. First of all, stop bre- bleeding money. Get rid of debt so you're not a slave anymore. Spend this time. While the economy is just booming, spend that time picking up some little side income If you have a hobby that you can spend that you are spending money and time in that you can expand it a little bit and start making some money also doing something that you like do that if If you can pick up you know three or four small income streams even if they're just a little bit. And you also cut back on some income streams and you instead spend that time that you were uh, devoted to entertainment and just goofing off because, I mean, if you honestly look at your, your daily time expenditure and you're really serious with yourself, I think you'll find that you're spending a lot of time doing things you don't need to do. I am, I am king of this, so I'm, I'm preaching it myself here. But you spend that time, you shift it towards doing things that you'll also enjoy but will give you a little bit of return on your time investment. And you start doing that now while there's low-hanging fruit, while there's money just flowing everywhere so that if times get tough, you're prepared for it, you're set up for it, you're already going in the right direction, you're able to take advantage of those Those good deals that come by because you have some disposable income, because you've cut out stupid, unnecessary expenses, and you save some money from your hobbies that you're making pay for themselves and pay you a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, going back to our quote of the day, build wealth. Yeah. Like, that's what people say, like, well, what should I do to get prepared for hard times? Build wealth. And and then redefining wealth to how long can you survive? Mm Mm-hmm. Without outside input, and and money plays a big role in that. Like I said, don't hate on money, uh, but build wealth, and then like really understand when Nick's talking about how much opportunity there is right now. How much opportunity there is right now? It drives me crazy to listen to twenty somethings tell me about how I had it easier than they did because I'm like, do you know what 1986 was like? Do you know what like 1989 was like? Like my first job was literally scrubbing the killing floor at a turkey farm. That was my first real job. Like and I did a lot of entrepreneurial stuff. I worked for a guy named Muskrat Purcell that owned a junkyard pulling parts. It was a great entrepreneurial job because it wasn't by the hour. He paid me by the part. I would go in or do a list of parts and a list of cars that had them and a price. You know, pull this starter motor and it's five bucks or whatever. And I'd go pull all that shit and like put it all in a bin inside his office. He was almost never there. And when I came back next week there'd be another list and there'd be an envelope with money in it. Mm-hmm. for the stuff I did last week. That's how that's how it worked. And it was all mm-hmm. under the table, me, him, and the fence post type thing, no taxes on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, but that was still like, I was lucky in a way to have that opportunity because there were 10 other young teenagers that knew how a wrench worked that would have happily stolen that job away from me if I had done a bad job with it. Today, those types of like side hustles mm-hmm. are everywhere. Yeah. You can dog sit through a site called Rover.com. You can do DoorDash. The, the other thing Brian told us about, there's a thing like these portable buildings, not portable, but like these sheds. Mm-hmm. There's a whole company that the only thing they do is set people up to install those in backyards. So he got like all the nail guns and shit like that, and he says like, you know, you can bust one out in two hours and make 500 bucks. I mean, you you, you probably aren't going to get enough business to live on it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's it's another example. And like when I was a twenty-something none of this existed not only a little bit none zero it was not there it did there was no internet so there were none of these platforms none of these app based side hustles or things like that there was no because there wasn't an internet even a lot of stuff we talk about it's like backyard mechanic or mm-hmm. handyman or something like that you could do that stuff right but you had to literally go door to door yeah today you can get on nextdoor and say i have a handyman business and you i've watched people do it And pick up three jobs in one day just by saying, I'm here. Right. And then you come to me and say, well, I don't have the opportunity you did. You're absolutely right. You do not have the opportunity I did. You have so much more opportunity. Shut your face and go get it. Right. And do it now because there is going to be massive flux in the future. And I can tell you some things that are going to happen, but I can't actually tell you what the results are going to be. Right. I'm going to tell you flat out you're getting Orange Man, You're probably going to lose the Senate when you get Orange Man, unless you get Bernie Sanders as your nominee, which is looking more likely, Mm -hmm. in which case you might get full command by the Republicans. They're going Mm -hmm. to do some really good things, and they're going to screw some shit up really bad. The cycle's going to cycle. The midterms are going to blow. And then you're going to get 2024, and it might not be him, but you're going to get some smart Democrat who's really a radical that looks like a moderate, like a Buttigieg. Right, that's young, that's like the the Bobby Kennedy type thing of the the Democrats have always loved, you're going to have a recession come in, and you're going to see a full political swing to the opposite extreme. And the extreme is now really extreme. You're going to get some flavor form of democratic socialism, but you're going to get all the bureaucracy and bullshit we have in this country that don't have these other countries that sort of kind of pull it off, which is fascism, which is what we already have on steroids, with all kinds of class warfare and all kinds of problems, and you're going to get this massive shift in automation all coming on top of that, and it's going to be turmoil. And you know what? There's going to be more opportunity than there ever has been, but most people won't see it. You were talking about preserving wealth, building income, saving money, getting out of debt. You know, it would be great when a house is selling for 25% of what it's selling for today if you actually had the money to go buy it. Because the reason it's going to sell for that, and I'm saying that's going to happen. I'm saying it's a feasible scenario that we could right. have a house that was $200,000, sell for $50,000. But you will likely not be able to go to a bank and borrow the $50,000. Right. That's as crazy as that sounds. Even if you have income, mm-hmm. you can have a complete lending shutdown in a recession. Yep. And that happened. That's why the recession got so bad. Yeah. There were people like, I will totally buy that house for $130,000. Do you have $130,000? No. I got 3% down. Yeah, we're not doing those kind of loans right now, right? I mean, right. like, that was the type of thing. So if you have $50,000 in, ca- in your in your your pocket, mm-hmm. not only can you go in and maybe buy that house for $50,000, but you might be able to buy it for $45,000. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do the, the Dwight thing from, um, what was it, Dodgeball? Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all just a stack of hundreds, yeah. you know. <laughs> a little big case and a little bitty stack. But, yeah. you know, seriously, like, there are going to be these opportunities to pick up businesses. Right. To pick up property, to pick up houses, Mm -hmm. and they're going to say, well, the rich are getting richer. Guess what? I don't care if you don't like that. That's how it always works. Right. But based on our quote of the day today, stop focusing on the rich getting richer and start focusing on being the wealthy who can get wealthier. Right. Because that's really what it's all about. Because I know a lot of rich people that went broke. Mm -hmm. I seldom would say I knew a person who was truly wealthy lose their wealth. Because wealth is far more strategic.
2: Well, you know, while I think that outcome is probably the most likely. We don't know. We don't know. And what if the economy. Explodes. better. Yeah. What if it explodes? Holy crap. And you spent the last five years getting better at making money. Yeah. And getting out of debt and positioning yourself to make more money. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you win no matter what. That's, exactly. That's, and that's a strategy for lifestyle
1: design. Anyway, we, we've wrapped up. That went kind of long, Nick. Thanks for, for being with us today. Um, you got any final thoughts for people? Or, if you're in town right now. Do like, you got any upcoming tours or something people might want to get in touch with you to consult?
2: Yes. Um, actually, I'm heading up to Oklahoma and then back through the DFW area. I'll be heading uh, um, east along the I-20 corridor Friday. So if you want a last-minute, have me swing by your place. I can probably detour a bit. So holler at me. Send me an email to nick at homegrownliberty.com. And uh, I'm also going to be going to Nicole's workshop in Tennessee the end of April. So I have windows for consulting, at the you know, going up there and heading back. So you know the middle of April to. Um, the end of April. So holler at me again if you're interested. I have four or five consults already lined up, and uh, I have a couple
1: more slots. Well, cool, man. Thanks for sitting in with us today. Apparently, this actually still did sound good without the rum. So <laughs> I, it sounded better last night, but it was pretty good today. Right. I can do. That. All right, guys, so that went pretty long. It's usually what happens when Nick and I get together, but uh, it was really a lot of great content. hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you take a lot of the stuff we said to heart. And uh, Enough variety in that one. I think probably everybody got something out of it. I'll wrap up really quick today for you, uh, given that the show is almost two hours long today. Um, let's start out with, you can help support this show. How? Do your online shopping. You know where? Tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, Tspaz.com. Um, I won't say a lot about the item of the day today. Just remember, like, no matter what you buy, as long as you start your shopping on t spas you help us. And uh, the item of the day today is made by a company called King Cooker, and it's K-I-N-G-K-O-O-K-E-R. It's a 12-slot leg and wing grill rack. This is such a stupidly simple little product. It's deceptive at how good it really is. Like, everybody that's ever had chicken that I've cooked on this rack is like, oh, my God, I can't believe how well that thing works. And it works good for wings. It really does. Um, but wings have kind of like, you know, you get got your thick drumette and your thinner mid-wing. So it does okay with those. What this really cooks in an amazing way is chicken legs. Because they're a little bit more uniform. They do taper, but they have more of that uniform and they hang beautifully. A dozen to a rack. And, you know, I cook two, three racks at a time on my grill. I put, I have a pretty big grill. I put the heat on both sides, cook them in the center, a little bit of mesquite smoke. I've got some write-ups. I've got some recipes. I've got a lot of great stuff today in the item of the day, uh, for you with this rack. Uh, you just go to the survivalpodcast.com and scroll down. And you'll find it there. If you're listening to this, you know, the day it came out or the day after, it'll be pretty easy to find. Remember, a way to make sure that you always get links to all this stuff, subscribe to the Daily Mail. Go to thesurvivalpodcast.com, click on subscribe, name and email address. That's all you got to enter, and I will send you an email once a day with all the new stuff on the blog and maybe a YouTube video or something like that. But it's a simple text email, no graphics, no HTML, no real tracking code or anything in it. It's about as low-tech as it gets. I never share your information. And if you ever decide you do not want to be on the Daily Mail, you click a single link and you say, unsubscribe me. And it's really easy, and I have no reason to try to email somebody that doesn't want to be emailed. So consider becoming a subscriber to The Daily Mail. That brings us to our Song of the Day today. Song of the Day today is by uh, Jimmy Eat World, which is kind of a, a pop-punk band, if such a thing exists. And it's called The Middle. And you might think when you hear the term The Middle by Jimmy Eat World, Jimmy Eat World that you've never heard the song. I guarantee you have. It's, it was an incredibly popular song. And it's a very happy sounding song. It makes you feel like you're kind of in the middle of high school walking through, uh, and like maybe not the high school you went to, but like, like the high school that they have rich kids on TV in. It just has that vibe, that feel to it. And I think it's supposed to. But it's actually a really interesting song and it's actually pretty deep. It's about not giving a shit what other people think about you. Um, this, this girl wrote in, uh, the, the lead guy in the band and, you know, it's like, I guarantee people that are that big, they don't read all their fan mail, but they occasionally do read some fan mail. And he read this thing from this girl, and she was talking about how she was into the punk scene at school, but the other punk kids didn't want to be your friend because she wasn't punk enough for them. And he's like, well, they totally don't understand what being punk's about then. Because it's about not being a conformist, but it's also about being cool to people. So, like, you don't need these people. They can go, screw. And just be who you are and what you are. And I think that's a really positive message, especially for a lot of young people, because, man, there are things that when you're a kid, you think they are so important and they mean so much. And I found it interesting when I was uh, checking a song out on YouTube. I always link to a YouTube video with the, with the song in it. One of the kids in the comments said something like, this is one of the best anti-suicide songs I've ever heard. And I kind of was like, yeah, you don't really know what the song's about. But then I was like, well, maybe they do. So I read it, the rest of the comment, and this kid got it perfectly. They knew the song wasn't directly aimed at that. But they understood with how many young people we have taking their own lives today, how much of it comes down to shit like this. like I'm not going to be anybody's friend, nobody likes me, whatever. And having the self-image of I'm going to be who I am, and those who do not appreciate that can very well go screw elsewhere. That's actually one of the best things for your mental health. It's also one of the best things to actually become successful in life, like Nick and I were talking about today. Trust me, truly successful people don't give a shit what you think about them. They're too busy being successful. And it's often hard for us when we're like teenagers and stuff like that to to realize that like the things around you right now that you think are really important, they actually are going to have almost no impact on the long-term quality of your life at all. It's literally the least important thing to your long-term happiness that could exist as to whether or not somebody likes you or you get invited to a party or something like that. But we have kids taking their life over this. A very good friend of mine, his son killed himself when he was, I think, 19 or 20 years old. And the note he left basically said he had killed himself because he had decided that he would never become anything. You know what? When you're 19 years old, you have a long time to become something. And having this attitude of, go screw, if you don't like me, that's a big part of your success if you actually take it to heart. And I can tell you that it works because there are very few people in the world who give a less, less of a fly and flip what you think about them than me. And I would say like when people say like, well, what are your keys to some of the successful things you've done? Um, I'm not going to say that's the only one, but it's a big one. Not giving a damn when somebody said, oh, that won't work. Not giving a damn when somebody said, oh, I don't like the way you look or whatever. I don't care. I'm too busy being me. I suggest you get busy being you and make the most of that dash, guys. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.